Thank you, Steve. As Steve said, my name is Ian. And I've been part of the church family here for the last 26 years. And today is the first for me and a first for you. This is the first time I'm bringing you the Lord's message as part of a sermon series. In what probably would have been another memorable first, I could have created a really good sermon illustration for today by joining the music team for the first time. <laughs> You've read ahead, obviously. Um, today's topic is, topic is You Shall Not Murder. And I thought it best not to do that because the only thing my singing voice does is murder the songs. So. You Shall Not Murder. I know what you're thinking. Four words. Make a great memory verse. Really good one to remember. This one's got little ambiguity to it. You shall not murder. Tick. I've got that one. But murder is serious. Once it's done, it can't be undone. We're always hearing about murder in our world today. You don't have to go back too far in the news to find examples of murder. The gangland wars in Sydney, the bikey shootings in Melbourne, or school shootings in the US. They're all recent examples of murder. We not, might not have them presented to us as murder. Society and the media nowadays tend to protect us from the seriousness of our actions that go against the Ten Commandments. It's no longer adultery, it's an affair. And it's no longer murder. We're told they've been gunned down or there's another mass shooting. And in 2019, Google and Facebook even started to block and filter posts that use the words murder. You shall not murder. It's the first in a string of you shall nots. The next four commandments, prohibiting stealing, adultery, giving false testimony and, and coveting, are all serious. But murder leads the list because deliberately taking the life of an innocent person is the most terrible thing that we can do. You'd think that this is the clearest of all the Ten Commandments and would need little explaining. An open and shut case of murder, he wrote. But there's more to it. So in the brief time we have, we're going to try and dig a little bit deeper. Do a CSI Helensburg forensic examination, as it were, to see if there's a bigger plot that can be revealed. Before we do, let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and for your word. Father, settle our minds and hearts to hear your word again this morning. Father God, please help me to speak clearly and be true to your word. We pray that you will renew us in our desire to love you, to serve you and to follow you. Amen. It seems very straightforward when you look at it, but the sixth commandment is often misunderstood. For a start, misquoting the commandment doesn't help. It's sometimes quoted as you shall not kill, but it's correctly translated from the Hebrew as you shall not murder. And there's a significant difference between kill and murder. To kill means to deliberately or by accident take a life, any life, whether a human being or an animal, legally or illegally, morally or immorally. On the other hand, murder is quite specific and quite simple taking a human life in an illegal or immoral way. We don't say a driver was accidentally murdered, we say the driver was accidentally killed. We might say I killed the spider, 
and not that I murdered the spider. If the Ten Commandments had said kill, we'd all be vegetarians. Killing animals would be prohibited. And we'd all be pacifists because we couldn't kill in self-defence. Killing becomes murder when it's not properly justified. Even our man-made laws allow us to use whatever reasonable force is necessary to protect our own life from hostile aggressors or to save the life of an innocent person who's in danger. The difference between the legal and illegal use of deadly force is really a matter of motive, intent and justification. All these can be found in the Bible. The same part of the Bible that contains the Ten Commandments sets out the death penalty for murders, allows killing in war, and prescribes animal sacrifice and allows eating meat. These same books give examples that some killings are not murder. As we can see on the screen from Exodus, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be no blood guilt for him. In other words, if it's legitimate self-defence, then there's no murder. But if there is scheming and plotting or premeditation, then it is murder. Moses killed the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew slave. Abram took the army to rescue Lot. God didn't judge Moses or Abram as murderers because each was protecting the life of another human being. It's the illegal or immoral taking of human life that the commandment is targeting. And why human life? Because we know that through God, humans have been made in his image. We were created in the image of God. We were created to reflect, reflect God's image that's pure and blameless and holy and good. His image is holy. Therefore, human life in his image is also holy. Since human beings have been created in the image of God, <coughs> lives, particularly innocent lives, are precious in God's sight and must be protected. Murder violates God's sovereignty, his rule, that he is king and the creator. God is the author and the giver of life. We're all different from all the other physical beings on the planet. The plants, the animals and the trees. We are the crown of his creation. As human beings, we're created with higher abilities of reason, creativity and self-awareness, more than any of the other animals in the kingdom. It's up to God to determine when our earthly life ends. It's not up to us. The consequences of such actions are evident in Cain versus Abel. And then there are the consequences from our own man-made laws, which of course were influenced from the Ten Commandments and other parts of the Bible. So you now know what murder is and what it isn't, or I hope you do. You know that God doesn't condone it and that he will hand down punishment for murder. So back to your initial thinking, you've still no intention of murdering anybody, still no need to think much more about it. I've got the memory verse down pat and yep, he's done. Let's go for coffee. But I did say we're going to do a little bit of forensic work on this and see what it really means for you and me. We honest law-abiding citizens here in 2508. So let's try and do that. <coughs> I work in risk management. And when looking at risks, we try and identify what might cause the risk to actually happen. 
from then we can identify the controls that might eliminate some of those causes. To identify the causes, we go backwards from the risk event with a simple exercise of asking why, to identify why a risk might happen. So let's say, for example, the risk event is being late for work. Why? Because the car wouldn't start. Why? Because it was out of petrol. Why? Because I didn't fill it with petrol. Why? Because the service station was closed or I couldn't afford the petrol. Usually we go back four or five steps. We're trying to find the root cause, what actually caused the problem, what caused the risk to happen. So can I ask you, and this isn't a rhetorical question, what do you think is the root cause of murder? Or put another way, what's the emotion that might lead to murder? Anger. Anger. Jealousy. Jealousy. Any others? Covetousness. Covetousness, yep. Hatred. Hatred, yep. Yep. All of those pulling together, and primarily the, the main one was anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to rage. Rage leads to violence, and violence leads to murder. Murder comes from anger. If you have your Bible with you, can you please turn to Matthew 5? In Matthew 5, Jesus says a few times, You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he does that a couple of times with the Ten Commandments and a few of the other laws from the Old Testament as well. When Jesus says these things, he's not abolishing the Old Testament. What he's doing is using his ultimate authority to interpret all the Old Testament and he's, and he's also claiming there to, to fulfil the law. Remember, he says, I'm not here to abolish the law, but to fulfil it. So we'll look at Matthew 5, 21, where Jesus said, where Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and, who, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus, Jesus didn't say that anger leads to murder. He said anger is murder. Anger gets the same judgment as murder. Jesus is saying, forget about the murdering bit. He's focused in on the root cause. Anyone who is angry with someone else without cause will be subject to judgment. Anger, rage and hatred are murderous things. Picture this. You're sitting at the traffic lights, second car on the grid, right hand lane, waiting for the light in front to turn green. There it is, it's gone green, but then the car in front of you decides to put their right hand indicator on. <laughs> Anyone feel road rage? <laughs> I'm guessing there is. A lot of us have been there, and probably some of us more times than others. In the last 12 months, two road rage incidents in Australia has ended with one of the drivers being charged with murder. On the northern beaches of Sydney, Confrontation resulted from a change of lanes that went to an argument, anger and rage, to one of the drivers pushing the other to the ground, violence, 
and then then driving over him with his truck for murder. In Adelaide, a small nudge on a bumper bar at the traffic lights escalated through an argument, anger and rage, a fight with a knife being drawn, violence, then a stabbing, a murder. Sometimes it's a very thin line that separates the violence of feeling and the violence of action. What is it that flicks your switch? What move, what's, what moves, what's inside of you to have the hatred and anger spill out? Spilling over all those that you love and your neighbours. Sometimes our words and language can be full of hatred and full of venom. I wish you'd never been born. I hate you. You fool. Just get out of my sight. Anger makes us destroyers instead of builders. It robs us of freedoms and makes us prisoners. To hate someone is to commit murder in our heart. From 1 John, we'll see on the screen. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Now that doesn't mean we should go ahead and murder someone since we hate them since we've already sinned inwardly. Sinful feelings are not excuses for sinful deeds. Sinful anger robs us of fellowship with each other and also with the Lord. Now, if I may take a guess, most of us here are probably not walking models of effective anger management. How do we get rid of anger? How do you get rid of anger? What do you do to deal with your anger? I'd suggest first up, admit it. In any form of addiction or affliction, the first thing you need to do is acknowledge that you have a problem be able to find any healing. If you have a serious anger problem that might be affecting not only you but others around you, or you can't let go of your anger or rage, then seek professional help and support. If that's you, please see Steve or Matt or Ella. I'm sure they have connections to professionals who will be able to help you. And of course, seek prayerful support as well. At least once a month before the Lord's Supper, and probably very soon, we'll hear from Steve to remind us to consider our heart and only come forward to the table if we're in a right relationship with the Lord and with others. Get rid of the anger from your heart. Get the matter settled and get it settled quickly. The longer we wait, the worse the problem becomes. We put ourselves in a terrible position when we refuse to be reconciled. Until a few years ago, there was a particularly useful expression, you can't shake hands with a clenched fist, but thanks to COVID, that Im imagery is not that effective anymore. <laughs> so lost his punch, I suppose you could say. <laughs> Perhaps we might now think of it as this, a person who refuses to forgive his brother destroys the bridge over which he himself must walk. That bridge is the one that leads to the Lord. And finally, we're told by Paul in his letter to the Romans, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Sometimes we just need to let God exercise justice. It takes more inner strength to forgive than it does to inflict revenge. We hear James tells us, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
slow to anger, for anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. In other words, stop and think. If you speak when you're angry, it will be the best speech you'll always regret. Let's pray. God in heaven, we consider the ten, as we consider the Ten Commandments and this apparently straightforward one of you shall not murder, I thank you for bringing the meaning of that before us. Thank you for exposing this through the light of Christ so that we can see where murder comes from. I pray that you will redeem our innermost parts so that we may, shall make every effort to be at peace with all around us. Heavenly Father, we pray for those struggling with anger, wrath and temper control. Please calm their minds, bodies and souls. Lord, bring peace to our minds and hearts when we feel angry at the situations we may face. Father, help us take hold of your promise that you will never leave us or forsake us. For whatever circumstances we face that produce anger in our hearts, remind us that you have not left us and you never will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.